Coming to you from the lab where they talk about guns, gear, training, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Mike and Big Key, and this is The Gun Experiment. How's it going, everybody, and welcome to The Gun Experiment. This week, Keith and I talk with the owner of on-site firearms training, discuss tactical scenarios, and shoot the shit about how to become a firearms instructor. I just want to remind everyone that we drop new episodes on the second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe and share the show with friends. And as always, I cannot start the show without the big man across the table. Big Keith is in the house. Big Keith, how we doing? I'm doing awesome, Mike. It's good to see you. How's, uh, how's life been? Life has been good, man. I am uh, excited to be here recording with you, as always, and uh, we have a good guest tonight. What about you? Uh, I got my hunting rifle back. It's oh, uh, nice. ready to test fire. Congrats. Yeah. Um, so I, this uh, was, what, give me the name of the company again. Bagheera. Okay. And, and this is the, the barreled action is, is from Bagheera. Um, and then uh, I got a diamond, uh, what do you, uh, diamond trigger. And uh, work, I'm going to figure out glass this week. Um, okay. But uh, yeah. Now hurry up so. quick. Opening day is coming. Yeah, well. You're going to make it out opening day? I don't know if I'll make it out on opening day just okay. because, you know, crazy schedule, but sure. I'll be out in that first couple of days. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm, uh, I'm really excited. Cool. I'm going to go see Cousin Brian in a, in, I don't want to say when exactly, but yeah, yeah I'm going to go see him at some point and cool. go hunt with him. Awesome. Yeah. So Very cool. All right. So uh, real quick, uh, let's talk about how uh, our listeners can support the show. So uh what I would like to ask of people uh, on this episode is if you could do us a favor and follow us on Instagram and or Facebook, whatever is your uh, your choice, social media of choice. Uh, if you do follow on Instagram and you DM us, we get back right away. Well, when I say we, me, because we know Keith, Keith doesn't do it. <laughs> but uh, but if you want to send a message to Keith, uh, I will relay it to him. You'll be my secretary. Exactly. Uh, and our show sponsor for this episode is Resurgent Arms. And I wanted to talk a little bit about Resurgent Arms. Okay. So uh, if you're looking, anybody out there, for a handguard for your AR, yeah. they do really, really nice handguards. They just came out with them not too long ago. Do they have a carbon fiber one? They're carbon fiber, exactly. Yeah. And I would say that their prices are very competitive and... Here is the screaming deal. You ready for this? Uh, they right now have some that are uh, blemishes. So they have blemished that they're putting down like at a very Discount? good discounted rate. Yeah. So I reach out to Will and I go, Will, I said, listen, I know you're already given this discount for the, the blemished ones. I said, tell me that our discount still applies to that. And he goes, why would your discount not apply to that? And I was like, <laughs> my man. I was like, that is why well, I love you. You Will. better go scoop them up because they ain't going to be around long. Exactly. So yeah, so if anybody's looking for one, uh, that is a great way to get a really good deal right now. And but what's our discount code again? Our is discount it? code is GUNEXPERIMENT12 and that gets you 12% off anything in their entire shop. All right. Our guest tonight is a firearms instructor out of Dutchess County, New York, a lifelong martial artist and firearms enthusiast himself. He's the founder and senior instructor at Onsite Firearms Training. Please welcome Benjamin DeWalt to the show. Benjamin, how are we doing? Pretty good, guys. How's, how's it going? Doing really well, actually. Thank awesome. you for asking. Yeah, we're doing great. Well, Yourself? I'm just hanging out, man. Just uh, Monday night. Uh, Monday nights are generally the day off or the night off um, when you do this full time. 
Saturdays and Sundays are work. Suddenly become your Wednesdays and Thursdays. I was, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mondays, my Monday, Saturday. and an occasional Tuesday <laughs> suddenly become the weekend for me. So, gotcha, gotcha. So let's get into that for a second. So, you grew up, according to my uh, research, you grew up around firearms basically your whole life in Western Pennsylvania as a kid, and then eventually you got sort of deeply involved in the club scene. And when I say that, not frequenting the club scene as a patron, yeah, but not, not a clubber. Yeah, but working it, and you did everything from. Deep DJing to bouncing and eventually you were actually worked as a booking agent for talent. So how did this all relate back to you getting into the firearms world? So my, my two oldest memories, uh, I had an uncle that, um, out and out by sort of the suburbs of Pittsburgh that bought me my first BB gun. And, uh, you know, at around six, seven years old, I think it was, uh, some of the kids in the area, we, you know, they all had BB guns and I was like, Oh man, I really need one of these. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I, I eventually amassed a small arsenal, uh, small armory. We'll actually call it <laughs> of, uh, if we don't want to call it arsenal. Somebody might get triggered, uh, of, you know, air guns, pellet guns, BB guns, you know, 22s. We started shooting after a while. Um, uh, but my oldest music memory, and this will pretty much tell you guys exactly where my life went off the rails when I was about three or four, my mom had this old, remember those old Oldsmobiles that were like 30 feet long. I definitely know which exactly. Yeah, and you could fit talking. like 62 people in the front seat, <laughs> like, like an old Delta 88 or like something. Yeah, like that. It's, it's this crazy boat on wheels, basically. It's Steam, like a yacht. steamboat with wheels. That's what I call them. I collect, yeah, so I collect them by the way, Benjamin. <laughs> this was back in uh i don't know how old you guys are but this is back in the days when you had eight track players in cars mm-hmm. and the two eight tracks two eight track cassettes that were in my mother's car was david bowie's diamond dogs <laughs> and led zeppelin one uh, <laughs> and that's what my early years were subject to those two those two albums gotcha and that pretty much set set the rest of my life in motion. Okay. Uh, so I, you know, eventually we moved out to the East coast from, from Western PA and, uh, you know, going to high school, I just, I got out of guns, you know, I, I kind of just forgot about everything. And, uh, you know, it was at that one point where it's like the make it or break it with guns when you're in like eighth or, you know, seventh or eighth grade I was doing martial arts. Uh, back then I was in karate, you know, the local karate dojo, all the kids went, and in high school, I kind of, you know, for four, four years fell out of everything. And I did all the things that high school kids do, uh, which was chase tail, chase beers and, you know, whatever else. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I was always into music. You know, I was punk rocker in high school, um, you know, into punk, ska, you know, hardcore, metal, pretty much anything that was like some form of extreme music. And uh, I got out of high school and got more into the sort of industrial techno scene and in the punk and hardcore scene. So we would go to like CBGB's hardcore matinees, agnostic front, Crow mags, youth of today, war zone. And then, uh, I got really into more of the club scene working at different clubs. I started DJing and next thing I know, I'm, I'm like thrown into the music industry. And I worked at Limelight, Tunnel, Palladium. Oh, wow. Uh, so USA. you worked some of the real big clubs. Yeah. But I also worked for places like the Bank and the Pyramid and another place over on 30th called Downtime. Uh, 
started DJing at all these different clubs and then started DJing all over the country. And then next thing I know, I'm somewhere in Berlin DJing the 4,000 people, you know, at a rave in Berlin. What was your DJ uh, name? Uh, Hell Raver. H-E-L-L-R-A-V-E-R. Yeah, I was a big Clive Barker fan as well. Okay. So the whole Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah. You know, movies and Nightbreed and all that. I so. like the name. That's cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, when did this all get you? How did you get back into this world that you're in now from there? That seems like, so far. Uh, I mean, people who get into that world don't ever want to leave it. You know, this was the 90s. <laughs> so uh, in the 90s, I was going through all this in the club scene and I eventually left the club scene. I went into the booking end of things where I was a booking agent for uh, a bunch of pretty big metal and hardcore bands and from there just one random day one of my buddies was like hey you ever shoot a gun before and i was like yeah i've shot a gun before like once or twice which was a lie but you know i shot many guns at that point <laughs> and he's like oh we're gonna go out to the poconos and, and shoot some guns and i was like well can i curse on here yeah yeah okay i was like well yeah fuck yeah let's do this so we went out to the Poconos and shot a bunch of ARs and AKs and 1911s and Glocks and all kinds of other shit. And I kind of came back and I was like, well, crap, I got to get back into that. And uh, put a smile on your face and you're like, I need more of that. Yeah. You know, it was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That stuff. So 2001, I met my wife and our first real date, like within the first two weeks that we were like hanging out. We went out to the Poconos and she's like, you know, what are we doing here? And I kind of like, you know, took a big gulp of air and I went, well, we're going to go shoot some guns. <laughs> and she was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I was like, well, that's it. I'm hooked. <laughs> there we go. Um, but right from there, right back around 2000, 2001, I, I'd gotten back into it and, uh, you know, then kind of went head first into it uh, before we move out of this music industry i have just one more question about that time like can, tell us sure. a story about one of the worst situations you ever found yourself in either as a bouncer or a dj or a booker like oh, just geez. one of those ones where you were like i that you look back now no having all this experience that you have being being saying to yourself if i was able to go back it would be different it would just you know it was just a terrible situation so we had some, oh, we had Cypress Hill playing an unannounced show and the Wu-Tang Clan showed up. Now, I love the Wu-Tang Clan. I got a Wu-Tang Clan flag hanging in the room. Right with, Ain't nothing to fuck right with. Now. They're not. They're really not anything to fuck with. And here's why. Uh, Ghostface also did not want to get frisked. I could not <laughs> even imagine why. But. He's like, I ain't getting fucking frisked. You ain't putting your hands on me, dog, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, all right, well, then get the fuck out. If you're not getting frisked, you're not coming in the club. So they all fucking went running out of the club and uh, they ran down the block. And in about three minutes later, I just happened to, we're standing outside. You know, we got like a hundred people outside waiting to get in. I got all my security staff, my door staff outside. And I just happened to peek up in the air and I see what looks like, oddly enough, a swarm of bees coming at us. <laughs> and it was probably about 50 to 60 friggin 40 bottles no oh or valentine and i was just like shit and everybody just scattered like you turned on the lights in like a crack house all the cockroaches scattered and wow. it was just raining down 40 bottles in That's front of, wow. of so of benjamin combat. let's let's take this back to your training so 
training classes are, in my opinion, very beneficial because they expose the students to new ideas, training concepts, points of views that maybe they didn't have before, right? So what are some recommendations that you have for people taking a course to better maximize their learning experience? Like not waste their money, not waste their time. Uh, stop thinking you know everything. That's good advice. <laughs> I can't tell you how many people like that I know personally that I'm like, oh man, you should come on out to a class. And you know what they say? Oh, I go to the range all the time. And I'm like, oh, what do you do? Oh, I go over to, you know, such and such range. I, I pay my $20. I shoot my 400 rounds in an hour and I go home. Yeah. yeah. So now let's say they've signed up though. They're, they're open-minded. They come, they're coming to your class. Yeah. What's the recommendation then for, for maximizing their time? Uh, just let it happen. <laughs> just honestly, again, don't come in like, you know, everything I still train to this day. I still take as many classes as I can. And one of the things that I do as a student is I'm just open for whatever the instructor wants to do. If you want to do, you know, some one round out of the holster up drills. Cool. Let's do it. Let's see how I do. I pay attention. I don't act like I already know all this shit. I act like this is me learning it for the first time. And there's an old there's an old saying that goes back to like our martial arts world. Sometimes you're an instructor, but you're always a student. Right. And mm -hmm. the best instructors are the ones that are always students. I mean, that goes across the board, right? I mean, you know, I, it is I, it is with anything. I, it yeah, is with anything. I was just going to say, I mean, your personal life job or there was a point in time where I was working on my pilot's license. The same thing there. You're always a student if you're yeah. a pilot, you know. So I think that that goes across. You like know, across I had the board, taken like uh, I had taken a class. I took a pistol 101 class with uh, a buddy of mine who's an instructor and uh, a guy named Chris Fry. Yeah. You guys know who Chris Fry is? Yeah. Yeah. He's fucking legend, that dude. Um, and this was years ago. It's probably about 10 years ago. And he's like, uh, oh, you, you signed up for this class? How come? I'm like, well, you know, I, I teach, you know, on, a, on a, like a 105, 106 level. I was like, but I want to come in to your class because it's not really what you're teaching that I'm worried that, I, that I'm curious about. It's how you're teaching. It's why you're teaching. It's how that you're dealing with that one student who just can't get it. Maybe I'll pick up something in your class that I didn't know or didn't realize, or maybe I'll figure out a way that I can help one of my students with some way that you approach their problem with your solution. So it's not always about what the instructor's teaching, but how they're teaching it and why they're teaching it. I, I, I encourage everyone to get into as many classes as you can with as many different instructors as you can, because there's a thousand ways to do something. And just yeah, a quick, a quick anecdote about kind of like your mindset you're talking about is um, I'm a martial artist as well. And I don't know if you know who Kano Jigoro is, but he's basically the, uh, the, the godfather of judo. And when he died, he asked to be buried in his white belt, not his black belt, because he wanted to be sure. thought of as a always a lifelong learner and not the master. So yeah. I just think that's kind of a nice little anecdote to kind of like sum up yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. Benjamin, yeah, stay humble. We were we talked about this for a few seconds before we got on the air, but you know, anyone who's listening to the show knows that I I'm a big fan of shotguns. Mm -hmm. uh, primarily, I like them for sport, but I came across your defensive shotgun course and uh, it right away piqued my interest for obvious reasons. I wanted to know a little bit of history of that course. Um, you know, did that come from living in New York and, and, you know, shotguns kind of being considered, you know, a top consideration for home defense because, you know, you know, some would say they're very, 
they're the most they're the least regulated in New York and <laughs> right. Yeah, but, don't say that too loud. I know, you know, I know. Well, I was want... trying to I hesitated because of it, right? You know. Well, here's here's the problem. If they actually understood what shotguns are capable of doing, I, right. I agree. I agree. They would not be they would not be concerned. What, what's at all. the ballistic on a on a twelve gauge slug versus like oh, <laughs> the amount so, of damage? Clint Smith, you guys know who Clint Smith is. Yeah. yeah. Clint Smith has a, a great saying and i'm probably quoting it wrong but he says pistols put holes in people rifles put holes through people and shotguns remove body parts (laughs) very true (laughs) so true and when we first started um our other instructor scott grasso uh was the one who came up with a defensive shotgun class because i was like you know i really want to get some sort of a shotgun program going because i just i fucking love shotguns they're just so versatile they're so destructive and as far as the general public's consensus on them, they're extremely underrated. Uh, they're more the accepted you, in, in the general public as firearms. Yeah. They're probably but, the most accepted firearm, in my opinion. Right. Oh, my grandfather had a shotgun. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's only yeah. a shotgun. Oh, boy, here's a good one. Buy a shotgun. Buy a shotgun. Yeah. yeah. Um, but if you actually had any comprehension of what the damage that the like, a good round of buckshot can do to the human body or what a slug could do at a hundred yards to the human face. Um, you know, people would be going crazy to, to get rid of shotguns. Mm-hmm. And Scott came up with this, with this great, uh, Scott's an old NYPD instructor. He worked at Rodman's neck, uh, city Island for, you know, 15 years or so, but he came up with this program and we sat down, we went over it, we looked at it, we ran it a few times with some students, and uh, it, it worked. It was, a, it was a lot of fun, which was one of the most important parts of our classes. Um, you got to learn something. But, you know, I also want people to have fun. I want people to feel like they really enjoyed themselves through the day. Sure. And, and does it, so, but, and did it come from, you know, like being in New York and, and, and it came from just a, a basic love of the platform. Yeah. And well, I respect here's, that. That's cool. Yeah, that's thing. cool. We, I, I, like I we said, kind of put, we kind of put the cart before the horse with this one because I just wanted to do it. Cause I was like, fuck man, shotguns are awesome. Let's, let's get yeah. a shotgun class going. Let's do this. Blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. What I find interesting about this is that, um, so shotguns, I, I know what they're capable of. I, I get it. But like, if I were going to give, a, a brand new shooter, a tool to defend themselves with. And I'm not saying that a brand new shooter can't use a shotgun, but a shotgun wouldn't be my first choice because there's a lot of recoil. There's a lot of like, there's a lot to make you not as accurate because of that you're, tendency to wimp. say that again. If you're a wimp. Well, yeah, but I mean, but I, what I'm saying is like a, a young boy or, or a so small friend woman. Here's right? what I found. Here's what I found really funny about shotguns is people will show up with a 20 gauge shotgun and they'll say, well, I didn't want to get the 12 because it looks like I couldn't handle it. And then we let them try the 12. And for some odd reason, I find that people have a more successful, easier time mm-hmm. shooting a 12 gauge. Yeah. Than Why do, do you think that is? The weight, the weight behind it's, it? It's kind of like the difference between 9 millimeter and 40. I don't want to shoot a big 45 round, so I'm going to get this 40 cal. And it's just the snappier, just a snappier yeah, yeah. higher velocity round, I guess. I, I don't know. That, that, yeah. I, I think but, part of it is is the weight of the firearms. Uh, yeah. And, you know what and, I mean? And like, that's that's a very big aspect of it, too, is is what you're actually running it through. But back to the to the question, we put the horse or the cart before the horse because I was like, I wasn't really thinking about 
how well it would be accepted Received. in New York. Yeah. But once we started running these classes, these were our best sellers. We were running two shotgun classes a month since the day that we started doing them and we were getting 12, 15 people in per class. It makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm glad to hear that my assumption was wrong. I'm glad to hear that you did it for the right reasons, you know, but I know on the show and in other conversations, Mike and I have definitely talked about how, you know, in a, in a, in a home defense situation in New York, you know, we've debated whether an AR 15 is the best choice because of the optics well, because of the optics, if you ended up having to really use it and you took somebody, you know, took somebody's life, like what would the optics look like? No one's coming for your shotgun, but the minute that you hear somebody, somebody shot somebody with an AR in a home evasion, yeah. you immediately think the bad guy had the AR. Yeah, I agree. Right? I agree. But if you hear somebody, you know, there was a home invasion and, uh, you know, somebody got shot with a shotgun, you immediately think the homeowner had a shotgun. But you're talking in terms of the optics, in terms of the world we live in. We're talking about the tactical, the quick, quicker follow up no, shots. I, I, I was talking about the, the, the actual, I was talking about, the, like, I have to defend myself in court now. Yeah. And the, the optics of having yeah. shot somebody with yeah, an the AR. The legalities of it. Yeah. Yes. But when we, on the yeah. show, I'm saying we've talked about how yeah, an AR is better for other both. reasons. Not yeah. So not here's, here's like you, you have a jury of 12 of your quote-unquote peers, peers which are yeah. not going to be your peers it's going to be people you have nothing in common with uh, <laughs> if the prosecution has anything to do with it <laughs> but but the weird thing is they're going to hear oh you defended your home with a shotgun well, well i have a shotgun right yeah or, oh yeah, yeah my brother has a shotgun it's Good like point. oh it's just a shotgun yeah and and people they really underestimate it. They really overlook. There's been no no mass murders with a shotgun. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. It's a good point. Um, right. So Benjamin, you offer on top of the uh, the course with shotguns, you offer a real extensive library of courses, right? And uh, very extensive. Probably. Yeah, it's really really yeah. extensive. So it's catering to the student looking for tactical training and. If you were to recommend a track for what I would call a journeyman shooter, so I'm, we're not talking your your first, you know, someone who's never shot before. We're not talking mm -hmm. about someone who has, has extensive training, but someone that's sort of in the middle. They're what out would, of probation. What would you recommend? Uh, go back to our very first initial offering, which would be like uh, a pistol skill builder, um, and then get into our accuracy and accountability class and then take the defensive pistol class and then go back to the accuracy and accountability class because you're going to learn a bunch of shit in defensive pistol that you didn't realize was important in the first time you took accuracy and accountability. But now that you've kind of put it all together, you're going to go, oh, yeah, you know what? I should probably go revisit this set, this skill set. Yes. And then from there, we've got close quarter pistol. We've got cover concealment pistol. We've got shooting on the move. We've got, you know, all the different branches, low light pistol. And then once you do low light pistol, you get up to that end of things. Go back and do defensive. Go back and do accuracy and accountability. The one thing that um, is interesting about our classes, there's never a set class lesson or, or curriculum. So you could take, you could sign up for defensive pistol accuracy and accountability once a month, every month for a year, and it'll never be the same class. Interesting. It'll be a class that's geared towards accuracy and accountability. But apart from holster draw and presentation and some trigger, dr trigger work and grip work, uh, all the drills, everything that we do in the class is going to be completely different every time. So I do have a question about two of your particular classes. So I'm going sure. to give you a little backstory on this. So I hunt with a Marlin 3030. 
My father gave mm. it to me and uh, lever action, of course. Yep. And lately I've been seeing on the gram, seeing all these cool pimped out tactical lever actions. And Hell yeah. I think they're so friggin' badass. <laughs> so I have a friend that I, uh, I do jujitsu with. And if he's listening to this, Dave, I love you, man. Dave was actually on the show with our yep. reloading episode. And I was like, Dave, have you seen like these new tactical lever? He's like, fuck those lever actions. He's like, he's like that you're you're like taking a, a classic gun and you're just ruining it. So I always we have this, oh we have this like back and forth. <laughs> so I've gotten him now to admit that, that as long as you have a regular one, <laughs> you can have a tactical one. So I'm like, oh, I can get two of them. All right, I'm on the same page. Right. But anyway, what is that course about? I would I want to know more about that course. So I have I have an old school 3030 Winchester 94. I have a very old school Marlin 336 and 35 Remington. And I love them both. They're both it's it's just such Where a Where do you get 35 Remington by the way? I need some. Oh, <laughs> you can't find. It. I was yeah. buying it when when you could get the Hornady 20 rounds for 20 bucks. Oh my uh, god. Yeah, I just I just sorry, bought I, derailed that I, I just bought some hunting rounds and I had to buy Lucy's. I, I, I did. <laughs> so, I picked up a Rossi 92 in 38 357 magnum that's a great for that's a great home defense right that, that'd oh, be it's, awesome it's this little it's this short little thing it's like a 16 inch barrel wow. um and uh i was kind of looking at like well, what can i what can i do to this thing i don't want to do all fucking cool guy tactical tyler shit to it so i found somebody who made a side mount pick rail it, it kind of you take the screws out on the side of the receiver. You screw this thing in and it kind of goes up and it turns and it goes across and replaces your, your, your rear sight. Okay. Uh So I've got this pick rail now on top and I threw a a red dot. Okay. On top of my lever gun. So I got a hollow sun 507 C and it is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And you can run those things. Keith and I were saying, you could probably run those things fast once you learn what you're doing. Yes. Is that what that that lever a little bit? That's what that course is all about is running those guns fast. So we're running that lever action class the same way that we would run any sort of defensive carbine class. Okay. Moving and shooting, cover concealment, prone, supine, you know, rollover prone, kneeling, multiple targets. Uh, but we're doing it with lever action guns. Wow, that's cool, man. Better eat, better eat my Wheaties oh, before I go to that. Because yeah. Yellowstone, that's why, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so my second question is about, actually, you just said it, your carbine classes. So... I, I looked uh, on those classes and those offerings, and you know, you recommend. Basically, we're talking about an AR-15 or a modern sporting rifle. Um, you run those classes in New York and Massachusetts. So, yes. what's the deal with that? Someone's coming to that class. They're not LE. They're not, you know, military. Uh, okay, terrific. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and what about their firearms? Does that matter? Sure. Okay, terrific. Okay, got it. <laughs> Um, I like your training philosophies. Yeah, yep, that sounds good. Yeah, to you know, I uh, let's move on let's from that. Put it this way: <laughs> I run a I run a Delta level defense. Uh, their CT four two A model, which is technically considered an other. Okay, um, it's not a pistol. It's not a rifle. If you go to deltaleveldefense.com, you can read about the firearm itself. Yep, uh, it's my buddy Ryan. Uh, great dude, great company, amazing product. I've had mine for four years. I got about ninety-five thousand rounds through it, and I've cleaned it four times. <laughs> um, it's like kind of a joke. Perfect. It's like it's like this running joke because the only thing that's happened to it in four years and ninety-five thousand rounds is my gas tube cracked and fell out, and I brought it to him. 
they're over in Stanford, Connecticut. Yep. I brought it. I'm like, yo, man, my gas tube fell out. And he goes, oh, I'll fix it. And he goes, you're, you're covered under lifetime warranty. And he goes, uh, when, uh, when's the last time you cleaned this? And I said, I don't know, two years ago. <laughs> and he says, and you shoot how much a month? And I said, probably about 2,000 rounds a month through it. And he's just looking at me. He's like, that's amazing. And I said, well, it's the gun, man. This thing's freaking great. Yeah. Um, Kudos to you. Yeah. But uh, I am not law enforcement. And I don't have any authority or any desire to enforce any laws that law enforcement would be paid to do. So that um, that sort I'm of brings find my vague slash politically correct slash. You, uh, you, know, you did it. I, I think I think you made way it clear. Of saying all gun laws are unconstitutional. I, okay. I think you did a good job at that. But it yeah. brings me sort of my next question. And, it, and I, it, you know, it may, may be a tough one, but. Most trainers in this space do rely on military or law enforcement, you know, careers and training as their foundation, you know, for the success of their training. So how do you justify your ability to train in these subjects when you don't have that experience? So this is really funny because there is um, there's a there's one or two, mostly one um, other local guy. um, And I've heard a lot of. Uh, sort of stuff come back to me like, oh, he says you don't have any real world experience exactly. and you don't know what you're doing. You and, and I'm not that person, you. Benjamin. I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I look at it this way. If I were a law enforcement instructor and, you know, or I was, a, I was a cop and I got out and I was teaching primary, primarily civilians, what am I teaching them? Am I teaching them that, hey, when you get into trouble, you should radio for help and then run to the trunk of your car and get your vest and your AR or your shotgun? <laughs> right. Uh, You're absolutely right. If I was prior military and I'm teaching civilians, what do I tell them? Call the medic, call in an airstrike and get the rest of the troops to rally behind you and you've got full support of the, the rest of your battalion. Right. You're teaching civilians. And one of the main things that you teach civilians is, look, just don't get involved. Don't put yourself in the situation. Don't right. don't invite that problem. And the whole uh, the whole debate on, you know, oh, you don't have real world experience. I have my real world and my real world involves just rolling uh, downstairs with people in a night and with people in a headlock, getting, busting getting hit with a baseball bat, <laughs> getting cut in the middle of a fight where I thought somebody was throwing a punch and it was actually a box cutter. So I got a scar on my right hand. Bottles of forty thrown at you. I got another time that I was coming home from limelight, walking back to my apartment and a dude jumps out of a bar and tries to start a fight with me. So I whip my straight blade, fixed blade Tonto out and I cut his hand from his wrist down to the tip of his finger. Uh, Let's see what else was there. There were multiple fights that I got into in working in the city uh there was a time when we almost scrapped with about 16 members of the hell's angels and they all had hammers <laughs> so when you talk about real world whose real world are you talking about are you talking about the real world of a cop or somebody who is in the army or are you talking about the real world of somebody who lives in a suburban slash metro area that is constantly having to worry about whether or not there's going to be an active shooter or they're going to make it home to their family or someone's going to try to mug them or throw them in front of a train or they're going to get into a car accident. I mean, there's, there's what is real world, right? So this Benjamin, is, let me tell you, if, when I asked you what was about one of the worst situations you found yourself in, if it was me and I were you, 
Hell's Angels probably would have been on that list. Yeah. I would have probably told that story. <laughs> the issue is one of our stage hands bumped into one of them and knocked his drink on the ground. Uh, and the Hell's, Angel, yep. the Hell's Angel drove his fist into this kid's face. And normally at Limelight, the Hell's Angels, we all let them come in. We give them you know drink tickets. They were super cool dudes. We let them walk in with ball-peen hammers in their back pockets. Uh, and we ended up with the entire stage hand, the entire stage staff, you know, going up to these guys and I kind of rolled up to the, the head dude and I was like, look, man, that's our stage hand. You just clocked him in the face, all the shit we do for you guys. And he was like, yeah, that was one of our guys from Connecticut. He's from an, in from out of town. He didn't know the rules. We're sorry. Like they were like totally cool with it. But these were situations that it's like, this is what your average person deals with. My average student, I would say 75% of our students are just average civilians. Right. So when I tell you that I'm training you for life in the real world, I'm training you for life in your world, not somebody else's. Just to clarify, Benjamin, like when, when we talked about that question, I actually agree 100% with what you're saying, but I want people who are listening to understand that when you go to train with somebody, and we'll get into this in a minute, but when you train with somebody, you're not looking for just what did they do in law enforcement. I know a lot of cops who, they're cops, they got 30 years of experience. They they'll, they'll tell you they don't even like shooting guns. They you don't shoot I mean? anywhere near as much as we do. Exactly. So no. I, my, my point was to just highlight that I actually think what you're doing is great, right? So I have I have civilians that will run circles around cops on a target on 25 yards on a B8. Yep, and exactly. We get a lot of law enforcement to come in. We get NYPD. We get Westchester County. We get I got a couple guys that come in from a couple different lettered agencies. Yep. And some of them are really good, and some of them I'm like, how did you ever pass your call <laughs> to be allowed to carry a firearm? Gotcha. Yeah. So I'm gonna hit you with a tough one here. So it's obvious that you have a passion for learning as well as teaching. Like, there's nobody's gonna deny that. But if you could only teach one of your classes for the rest of your career, what would it be, and why? Pistol accuracy and accountability. Why is that? Because one, I love pistol. I, pistol's my favorite. One of my well, yeah. It's a, it's a tough fight between pistol and shotgun, but pistol will always win because when I leave the house every day, what do I bring with me? Your pistol. Yeah. Yeah. I don't bring my AR, my AK or my Uzi or anything like that with me. Like it's like, if, pistol, it, was, if it was more acceptable, would you take a shotgun? Uh, no, I'd roll with the AK if it was more acceptable. <laughs> if we were in like, you know, the Middle East somewhere and I had a Mercedes that had the top <laughs> and I had, I had big Elvis sunglasses and a turban, I'd be rocking that AK. An um, 80s diesel Mercedes in this desert with... Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Or, 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 or Toyota. Yeah, or, <laughs> 100%. <laughs> cut off Toyota pickup truck. Uh, no, cool? pistol would be would be the, the ultimate for me or the, be the one choice for me because that's the one that I carry all the time. That's the one that if I'm outside the house, I'm going to be obviously using to protect myself or somebody that I care about. And it, it is, it is literally the basis for, for self-defense, you know, as far as gun owners go. What, one um, more question for me. Um, from this long list on your website of people who you've worked or trained with, <laughs> who is one you'd say needs to be on the bucket list for all of us but before you answer this question hold on a second because other people don't know what we're talking about here so on this list we got your name from scott jedlinski who is like right. i mean he's scott jedlinski like he's the red dot guy right but you have pat mack on this class chris you have, yeah you have the yeti steve fisher 
You have. He was just he was just here at my house for four days. <laughs> yeah, you have uh, Craig Douglas, right? So I mean, like you have like these like massive names that you've trained with. So just for us as a bucket list, like you got to get to this guy who or is girl. <sighs> I mean, you got to get to all of them. <laughs> this is- Don't cop out on me. <laughs> We're not letting you duck it. Come on, give us one. Dan Brokos. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll take it. If and- not, if, if it wouldn't, if you weren't going, if you could not get to like Steve Fisher or, you know, Paul <laughs> Sharp or Jake Pelletier <laughs> or Kelly Venden or Tom Givens or Bob, <laughs> Bob Keller. Uh- <laughs> we, got you. we get it. All we right. Get one it. more part to this question. I'm not going to put you quite on the spot because I think this would be too difficult to put you on. We could talk off the air, but instead of telling us who is like not the greatest of the trainers tell us more like the type of trainer we should be cautious of like what type of things that if we see we should you know be maybe asking ourselves more questions maybe doing a little more validate before we agree to to train with them i would say you know this kind of goes back to that last question that you asked me if somebody is like basing their entire existence on the fact that they were in the military or they were law enforcement. And that's the sole sort of like, well, I was in the military, so therefore I know blah, blah, blah. That's kind of like a red flag for me. I like guys like Bob Keller. Bob Keller was basically like, yeah, I was Delta Force. Or he said, I was in a a certain group in the military, but, uh, you know, now I'm teaching civilians. It's really cool. I teach a lot of civilians in law enforcement and I have a lot of fun with it. And I was like, cool, I like that. Um, But there have been some guys, and uh, I have not trained with them simply for the fact that their websites scream special tech ops, warrior, this and that. And it's just (laughs) like, oh, come on. Like, I don't want to I don't want to learn to, you know, be a, a, you know, military esque tech warrior. I just want to be learn, learn to be a dude who's got a gun and can survive you know, is going is to survive. If I ever find myself in a real shitty situation. Yeah. No, that's um, great advice. So somebody who's somebody who's that extreme on that end, like find someone who really defines what you're looking for. If you're looking to learn how to use your shotgun, go to someone who's really good with shotgun, regardless of their background, like right. Rob Hot, Matt Hot, Ashton Ray from 360 performance. Fucking amazing. Uh, if you're looking for pistol, you know, you've got Steve Fisher is amazing with pistol. You've got a, there's a whole slew of dudes that specialize. Look for someone who specializes in the gun. Right. And not resting on what they did 30 years And a lot of these ago. guys specialize in certain things. So if you're looking for red dot stuff or appendix, you know, Jed Linsky's your guy. I mean, he might be your guy, right? Yeah. Like, so there's, there's that. You look for the guy that does what you're looking to learn the best is basically. So I took, I took a class last year with Bob Keller and I had not heard of him prior to this. Uh, my buddy owns, uh, runs a police range down in Franklin Township, New Jersey. And he was like, Oh, I have Bob Keller coming in from gamut resolutions. And I was like, I'd never heard of the dude, but let me look him up. And I had the day off. It was like a Tuesday and a Wednesday class. So I'm like, well, shit, I can take the Wednesday night off. I'll have one of my other instructors of Rachel teach Wednesday night and then uh, I'll go and do this. And the first thing that he said when we were in the class, we get, you know, through the the intros and all that. And he goes, all right, guys, this is not going to be a running and gunning and tactical class where you're going to be shooting from prone and supine and all that shit. He goes, I'm going to teach you how to essentially mount your gun, acquire your sights, place your sights on the target and deliver quality hits at various distances. Sounds good enough to me. 
And he said, if, cause if you can't do any of that, you shouldn't be doing anything else. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, Oh shit. That's, that sounds awesome. And yeah, it was yeah. two awesome days of learning how to actually shoot your rifle from like 50 yards into a three inch circle. Cool. Yeah, definitely. And that's what I was looking for. You know, right. that's, that's what I look for in an instructor. It doesn't have to be the flash and the, and the, the rainbows and the fireworks and the flaming barrel rolls and all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Get no, quality. I, that's Get really quality good advice. I would say. So we want to move on uh, to our next segment, but where can people find you? Where so uh, we teach at about 27, 27 different facilities across the country from Texas to Michigan to Maine to Florida, et cetera. But our website is OFTLLC.us. Uh, we also have an Instagram on-site firearms training on Instagram. We're also on the Facebook for now until we get completely <laughs> yeah. yeah band yeah i have all um, that in our show notes so anybody looking for you they can they can just google you or they can go to our show notes so yeah so we do a game on this show called run and gun benjamin and uh it's a 10 question rapid fire game we were hoping you'd play with us oh <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna have to you're gonna have to come come up with an answer on one of these you've already been toying with tonight okay exactly so here we go number one what is your favorite gun in your personal collection glock 17 gen 5 what gun would you buy if money was no object? Glock 17 Gen 5. <laughs> First if, time that's happened. If you could have a drink with one person living or dead, who would it be? Oh, George Washington. All right. Just want to ask Favorite him caliber. what the fuck happened. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite caliber? Uh, nine millimeter for sure. Favorite hobby, not gun related? Oh, martial arts, some sort of fisting, fighting, punching, kicking, elbows, knees. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, either recover quickly from hangovers or <laughs> uh, or make uh, every single shot that I try to take go exactly where I want it to go. Oh, that's a new one. All hell breaks loose. Is it better be armed or trained? Uh, trained. Is it better be loved or feared? I would say loved. Rifle, pistol, or shotgun? Only one. Pistol. You're in the worst scenario imaginable. Who do you want to have your back other than your spouse? Oof. Um, who would I want? Who would I want? That's a great question. Probably my buddy, Seth. Let's mix it up. I was holding out that uh, Benjamin was going to pick shotgun. I was holding out. That <laughs> I knew it was going to be pistol. It's, you know why it's pistol? It's it's just the constant. Leaving the house with it. You, no, you, you, made, you said it kind of earlier on when the interview part, but anyway. All right, so on this uh, episode of Let's Mix It Up, we're going to discuss how to survive different tactical scenarios. So uh, we, we have you on the show. Uh, it's obvious that you have a lot of uh, training, but I think there's a lot to mindset here. And, you know, obviously Keith and I run through these scenarios in our heads a lot. I'm sure you do the same. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're going to present a couple of scenarios, and we want to kind of hear what your, your thoughts are, and then, of course, we'll you know, kind of jump in as well. So, Keith, you want to lead off? Yeah. So, Ben, we were, Mike and I were preparing for the show, and he happened to call me at a, at a football game. I was at a Jets game. They were, they were doing terrible, so I picked up the phone. And um, he's like, hey, you know, we're going to be talking to Ben, and I want to come up with, you know, some scenarios to have him, you know, help us through. And I was like, well, listen, I'm at this football game and it sucks. And if shit hit the fan, I need to get the fuck out of here. So how do I get out of crowded areas? 
Don't put yourself in a crowded area, first of all. That's number one. Oh, come on. That's a cop out. Like, you uh, know, you do things, right? Don't you do things? Like, you don't go to concerts anymore? Nah, you don't do any of those? Not really. Well, no. well, what about those of us that do? Uh, that, still, you know, I mean, listen, anywhere I, go. I obviously pay attention. I obviously pay attention to exits. Yeah. You know, the one particular place that I'm talking about right now, MetLife Stadium, I'm very familiar with. I've been there 155 times. So I know the quickest ways in and out and things, but how do I know that it's getting bad? How can I be alert to know that it's it's getting bad before it gets there? So don't get complacent. If you're in public like that, you're in a crowd of people, stay off your phone. If you're looking down, answering your phone and you're talking on your phone, you're missing what's going on at some point, either on a 90 degree angle or maybe right in front of your face. It depends on, you know, what you're doing with the phone. But anytime that we go out in public, uh, obviously, yeah, first time you walk in the door, you look for the other, you know, the other exit, the other door. You look for what could be considered to be adequate cover. Uh, I look for, you know, how far an adequate cover or a different sight line could be. Uh, but then I had an instructor years ago that said, you know, if you open up your silverware drawer and there's pancakes in there, you know, you should probably ask why. And at first I didn't understand what the fuck he was talking about. I'm like, what kind <laughs> of bullshit either, is this? Yeah. And then I realized, like, if you walk up to Home Depot and there's a dude in the middle of July standing out in front of Home Depot wearing pants, boots and a winter coat with like a wool hat on over his head and his hood up, is that normal? Right. So pay attention to that. You know, keep your head on a swivel. Pay attention to what is the anomaly. What's the weird thing? What's the pancake in the silverware drawer scenario? Look around. Like, don't don't sit there, you know, daydreaming into your phone. Keep your keep your eyes constantly scanning. And if you see something that doesn't feel right, doesn't look right, doesn't sit right with you. It's probably not right. That old, uh, you know, spidey sense where the the hairs on the back of your neck kind of go up, yeah. and you're like, "Ooh, that's." I was gonna say my thing is like the early detection. So what I mean yeah. by that is, so you're talking like a mob scenario. Yeah. Well, the, well, yeah, if, but... if you if you realize, oh shit, stuff's going down in the first and second round, and it's gonna work. Yeah. maybe it's time to leave a little. Well, work its, it's way up. Go. So recent, you know, I think it's it, it was recent enough to when when this airs that we can talk about it was the Astrodome thing with uh, that, like eight people got trampled. Yeah, like, right. And I'm I'm guessing, you know, Ben, based on your experience with, you know, these big concerts and, 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 and uh, uh, concert events like that, that you probably have seen like a mosh pit yes. or like, uh, you know, something like that get out of hand. But seen... there has to be early, early warning signs like Mike and I are talking about. So yeah. we were uh, years ago, we were out in Allentown at this place called the Chameleon Club, and it was the uh, East Coast Oi Fest. And it was a bunch of punk and skinhead bands. And when you have punk and skinhead bands together, you have two different types of skinheads. You have skinheads that are there for the music and the camaraderie. And then you have other skinheads that are there to throw fucking salutes into the air and be a bunch of idiots. Um, we could see from one side of the room to the other side of the room, the two different factions kind of eyeing each other up. And then they mm -hmm. were like pointing at each other. And then all of a sudden you saw one side throw one bottle. And uh, I was like, oh, shit, this is going to get really, really fucking bad real soon. Right. And within within 30 seconds, it was just a bottle fight in the middle of this, this 300, 400 person venue. Yeah. And as soon as the like the third bottle was thrown, 
we just got out. I grabbed my wife. I'm like, let's yeah. get the fuck out of here. Yeah. I, I, you know, you brought up the stadium. So my wife is an Eagles fan and I'm a Giants fan. So you know how things are around here on yeah. Sunday. And, um, <laughs> We were, she, one year for Christmas, and I'm going to sound like a major uh, puss-puss on this one, but uh, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll say it on the air, though. So we, she got me tickets to an Eagles-Giants game in the Meadowlands, and we go, and it was the game where uh, was it was Deshaun Jackson uh, ran the ball back, and, like, basically the Giants were up the whole game. Yeah. And the whole game, like, everyone around her was, like, ribbing her and, and making fun of her, and she's a champ. She's taking it, right? Long story short... The Eagles wind up coming back and winning. And of course, as a, a real Eagles fan, what is she going to do? She turned around and she turns around and starts like cheering and like yelling and screaming. And she and this these two guys, two three rows in front of us, turn around and they just look up at us and they go, "Shut the fuck up!" And I look at them and I look around me and again, early detection. I go, "This ain't a fight I'm ever going to win no. because yeah. it's gonna st- it's gonna start with one guy and it's gonna it's gonna wind up being ten guys." just swinging and throwing. And I'm going to go back to what Daniel Shaw told us many, many episodes ago, which is what is your primary objective? Yeah. My primary objective is to, to keep my wife yeah. safe. If that means I got to fight one guy, then that's what I got to do. If it means I got to shut the fuck up the fuck so that up. I walk out of there, yeah. then I shut the, shut fuck, the up. fuck up. You yeah. know what I mean? And yep. you got to know when things are going to get bad before they get bad. Yeah. And that's well, area. the only experience that I ever had in a crowded area like that, and it was actually at MetLife also, it was early on when that stadium was built. So probably 10 years ago now, close to it and maybe a little more. And, um, there was a it was a Monday night football game. It was packed, right? Way before people were worried about going to stadiums for viruses. And it was like eighty five thousand people and there was this huge thunderstorm that came in and they told everyone to go into the uh, vestibules, right? To where you were coming through with the escalators and stairwares. And let me tell you, that building was meant to get 80,000 people into it easily. It was not meant to get 80,000 people out of it easily. Mm. And I realized pretty quick that I was, you know, at that time I was big Keith, like I used to be, and I was getting pushed around and I was like, it's time to go. Yeah. And I went just straight for the nearest set of stairs and just went down and out and just walked away from the stadium. So I think... Early detection is what we all need yeah, to take absolutely. away from yeah. Just if, pay you, if you guys, yeah. I don't know if you've read it or not, Varg Freeborn's Violence of Mind book. No. Oh, I know who Varg is because he actually does stuff with uh, Daniel Shaw. So yeah. I have not read if it. If you I'd read like that to. book, yeah. I mean. One more time, the, the name of the it? The book is called Violence of Mind. Um, it is it is all about this type of stuff. And just oh, swallow okay. your ego and go. Yep. Right. You yep. know, if somebody steals your parking spot while you're trying to park, big deal, find another one. It's not, oh man, that's a great segue into mine. Yeah, it's, not, it's, not, it's not worth getting shot or stabbed or ending up in the hospital yeah. or ending up in jail over. You know, it's just like, eh. all right. So my my scenario is a car scenario. So mm-hmm. uh, you're armed with a pistol. We know that you are, and you are in a situation where, let's say, bumper to bumper traffic. You you can't drive, right? So you're you're mm-hmm. not you're not able to mobilize the vehicle, and one thing leads to another, and you annoy someone severely and they get out the way you look and they get out and they start basically banging on the windows, you know, starts to start to basically shake the car. It is now a situation where you are being threatened, but you still have glass and steel between you at this point. Sure. How do we, um, how do we proceed with this? So opinion? first thing, get your phone out, hit record on video, get it on video, get evidence of it. Right. 
because you have to prove that you are in fear of, you know, some sort of justifiable fear that any reasonable person would, would, you know, have this fear of self-defense or serious bodily injury. We were presented with this years ago. Um, there was a video, uh, that took place in Vegas where this homeless guy was bragging about how he was, I'm a bad motherfucker. I'm a bad motherfucker. I don't give a fuck. Watch this. And he takes a metal pipe and he goes over to a car in traffic in that same situation and he starts smacking the roof of the car, smacking the hood, and then he smashes the passenger side window, smashes the back windows, starts smashing the driver's side window, and starts like swinging the pipe inside the car. Mm. And the instructor basically said, you know, what would you do? Is this a viable situation where you could shoot this guy? And everybody, most of the people in the class said, well, no, you're in the car, you know, drive away. And it's like, well, you can't drive away. You got a car behind you. You got a car in front of you. You can't go anywhere. So the use of deadly force can be used uh, for death or serious bodily injury, right? Loss of a limb, loss of an organ. When he swings that metal pipe and smashes the glass of your passengers or driver's side window, where's that glass going to go? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to go in your eyes. If you're screaming for help, it's going to go in your mouth. If you've got a kid in the back seat, in a car seat, or you've got somebody with you, you know, you've also got them to think of. Like that glass, your kid starts screaming because they're scared. Where's the glass going to go? Right. In their eyes, in their face, in their nose. you got glass dust as well. You inhale. So are you basically I mean, waiting for glass to be broken, though? Like, I mean, I think I, was, I would be waiting for the the safety that I do have inside the car to be compromised. I would agree with that. Now, are you okay to draw the gun before that though, to be prepared for that moment? I would not because that might, that might instigate even further. That might escalate the situation. The guy may just completely lose his mind. There was a video years ago of a dude who was stuck in traffic and I guess he might've, I think he rear ended the guy in front of him and the guy in front of him got out and did the exact same thing was smacking on the window. He didn't break anything, but he was like trying to rock the car and smack in the window, right. telling the guy, "Get out of the car, get out of the car. I'm going to fuck you up." And the guy just dialed 911 and sat tight, right. and waited for the police to come and he did not get out of the car. He didn't further engage this guy. Right. And that was it, it didn't get to a point where the guy tried to break the windows. He was right. just like kicking the car and smacking the windows and smacking the roof of the car. So what do we learn here? Put your ego in check. Right. <laughs> right. And uh and sit back and wait for the cavalry to yeah. arrive is basically it. I mean if the guy if the guy breaks the if the guy breaks the window and makes, you know, a, a reasonable attempt to harm you while you're in the car, different story, right? But but otherwise if you know, he's not able to physically get to you, let somebody who's paid to do that, you know, come and do it. Right. Well, I think it's time for the boys to sit around and shoot the shit. All right. So on this episode of Shooting the Shit, <laughs> we talked to Benjamin about how to get started as a firearms that, instructor. That so, was Mike's voice when he was, you know, getting paid to do commercials. <laughs> nice. So uh, I, the, the question that Keith asked earlier um, in terms of you not having the experience of uh, law enforcement or military, that really was like, I mean, we genuinely think that that's great. You know, we think that's a good thing. And I know there's other people out there that are saying, I, I want to help other people get into this world and, and, and be able to protect themselves. How, how did you, how do you recommend people get started in this? How did you get started in this? You know? Well, 
for those that are looking to make money, I will give you the secret to how to make a small fortune as a firearms instructor. <laughs> you want to know what it is? Don't do it. <laughs> start, start with a large fortune. <laughs> then you will have a small fortune. <laughs> That's great. Sounds like, when I bought, well, it sounds like when I wanted to buy a boat. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big believer in being able to walk the talk or talk the walk. Um, there's a bunch of firearms instructors out there that I know personally that aren't the greatest shooters. And to them, you know, they're doing classroom stuff. They're doing NRA, you know, basic stuff. And that's great. But if you're going to teach people how to shoot and you're going to teach people to shoot defensively, accurately, you know, at distance, whatever, for, you know, various target sizes, you need to be able to do everything that you ask your students to do. Yeah, it's a good point. You need to be able to demo it and do it and don't be like, well, you know, I don't really shoot a lot, but here's what I want you to do. You're going to shoot 10 rounds into the 10 ring of a B8 at 25 yards. No, dude, you fucking show them how to do it first. If right. you can't do it, yeah. you shouldn't be asking people to do it. Right. So the first thing you need to do is essentially be able to do be able to walk the walk. Um, it sounds like the safety stuff and the, you know, those things might be a good way for someone to start if they want to just yeah. get into it, right? Yeah, get, you know, the NRA instructor certification is good. It's not the end of the road. I know guys that are like, well, I'm an NRA instructor, so therefore, and I go, yeah, so therefore you sat in a room for 12 hours, paid 300 bucks, and you got a piece of paper that now says you can teach people how to shoot a gun. Right. And that is day one of your career. That is day one. Um, you know, getting the RSO certification, getting the NRA certifications is great, but that's not where you stop. That's where you just, you just stepped into the arena. Now you've got, you know, other, other organizations like USCCA that's offering these different instructor certifications and they're not bad. They're not great, but again, this is not your last stop. You've got range master, which is run by Tom Givens, which is probably, uh, a very, very good choice for somebody who's, you know, getting up there in, in the shooting world, uh, that wants, that wants some really valid instructor certification. Um, and then you've got places like SIG Academy, Thunder Ranch, Gunsight that are doing their instructor certification programs. And that's another angle to go. And if you want to get, they teach you how to shoot at those places. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. They, there's the qual you have to pass at all these. I mean, it's, it's serious stuff, Yeah. but if you want real respect in the industry, you have to show that you've earned it. Now you can get all the, you know, instructor certifications that you want, but if you don't have the personality, if you don't have a good attitude, if you don't, if you're not able to connect with people, you know, that's how well are you going to do? Um, if your method of teaching people is to go back to your military drill sergeant days and yell at everybody yeah. or go back to your days as a cop and be very cold and stern with people, you're going to find civilians just think that you're a jerk or think you're right. an asshole. And I, I always tell this story. I've told it before in the show and I never mentioned who or whatever, but I took a class and the guy was doing, um, they were like skill builders, you know, they weren't very expensive, but they were like shorter than a normal class. And I, you know, I, I really liked him. I was taking a bunch and we were taking a, uh, doing a course of fire. I won't even say what the course of fire was, but it was something that for me was very challenging. Uh, mm -hmm. it was multitasking and, and I found it very hard. And at one point during the, uh, the drill, 
I just like everything went wrong. Like my my mag fell out of the gun and I dropped my my peripheral tool and I like I everything went wrong. And I just kind of like stopped. I didn't know what to do. I just kind of and the guy like laid into me. Stop everybody stop what you're doing. You never give if you were in a fight right now, like you would never and and I was like all right, man. Like I, I get it, but I'm just like I'm very defeated right now. Like, I, I don't know what I'm even doing. And was this in New York? It was in New York, and I was like, man, was like the low light class. Uh, we'll talk off the air. <laughs> <laughs> I know who it is. <laughs> and I just was like, I was like, dude. I'm like, you know, obviously, I'm I'm in over my head right now, and I just need you to kind of like get so, me back to this, you know. And it was just a really bad experience. I'm sorry, but like if you're an instructor, you are not just an instructor. You're a teacher. You're a coach. You're a mentor. Right. If some if a student is having a hard time with a with a technique, it's it's in poor form and poor taste to scream and yell at them and embarrass them in front of yeah. everybody. Well, what would have been a better thing was be to like basically call ceasefire and say, "Hey, man, what happened? Talk to me. You know, what you what you see? What you feel? What exactly. what, what what went on there? And then you tell me I'm really overwhelmed. I, I don't really. I, I'm kind of getting a little confused or whatever." And then I say, all right, well, let's solve the problem. Let's see what we can do to get this to run a little smoother for you. And you know what's funny is the only time that's ever happened to me in a class. And what I found interesting was looking back on it, it's because the other classes I had taken, uh, things were set up differently. And I I would say I was set up more for success in those other classes where I felt confident in going into the drill. So at the end of it, I was like, man, like I I really was like – not happy with the way that not only he handled the situation, but looking back on it, why didn't you set it up better? You know, and this is, and this is a situation where you'll have somebody, if that was their first class ever, and they had an instructor like that, they may never come back to another class. Yeah. 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 Agreed. And they certainly won't come back to, to that instructor. Right. Um, I've had a couple people that have come to me that have gone to other instructors and they're like, you know, you're just as good as the other guy, but you're a hell of a lot nicer to people. That guy, you know, whatever. This guy was a was a real asshole, and he's really arrogant. And, yeah. Well, and well role playing only goes so far, and then there's a point in time where you gotta discuss the role playing, and you gotta try to, you know, yeah. start over, start right. the role play over again. And and isn't that the great thing about being in an instructor led course? Like, yeah. You can hit the reset button. Right. You're not fighting for yeah. your life. But and your instructor, your-, your instructor is your coach. Yeah, right. you're, you're not, not telling. Think about if you had a coach in high school for football that just treated you like shit. Right. You'd probably not want to be like, "Why am I doing this? Why am I paying for this?" The one that treats <laughs> you like you're the best in the world, you'll walk through walls for him, right? Right. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. They got to be a coach. They got to be a teacher. They have to be a mentor. They have to be an instructor. You have to be somebody that they look up to, and sometimes you have to be their best friend. And that's if these people are entrusting you. With their time, which I will tell you, a student's time is worth way more to them than their money is worth. I Um, completely and totally agree. So we want to thank you, Ben, for coming on the show and and talking to us about your company and all the things, tactical world and all of our silly scenarios. And, you know, it's really great having someone with your experience on the show. Um, It it gives our listeners a lot of uh, really good insight. And uh, if you're out there, we want to make sure that you go check out his website and all his social media. Uh, To everyone listening, we want to thank you again for taking time out of your day to tune into our show. You can find links in the show notes to all of our social media. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter so we can keep the conversation going. Benjamin, thank you again so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Benjamin.
You got it.